This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, episodes 14 and 15. Day 72 on this planet. We've been bunkered through this cold weather for only 20-some days, and it's already starting to seem unbearable. We're still unsure how long these winters last. Scout parties looking for a pass to lower terrain been limited by a lack of cold weather clothing and supplies, which is where the Grendlers come in. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that whispers sweet nothings to you in your dreams. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Uh, I have nothing that's real. (laughs) Nothing. Jordan, the listeners and I are really worried about you. (laughs) Because there's nothing real? There's nothing real. Every week is a struggle, a new struggle for you. My note here, I have at the top of my uh, my type notes, it says, what's real question mark, and then just a blank. So at least I'm consistent. <laughs> you just copy paste that every week. <laughs> yeah, what's real? Nothing. Nothing's real. <laughs> well, uh, this week we are joined by a guest. Mark, you're coming to us all the way from Vancouver. For some reason, I've attributed this to Jordan, but you're our furthest guest. You love that, right, Jordan? <laughs> I think you may be our furthest guest. Really? Well, that's a... Pretty exciting. I. <laughs> <laughs> you seem excited. It sounds like it might be a compliment, but I don't think it is. I mean, I guess it's nice. I, I don't think, like you were saying, I. I think thanks to the pandemic, you've been going outside, uh, outside the borders of Ontario. So it's nice to get to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here today. It's fun to bring some new blood to the podcast, and also uh, you're a good friend of mine, and it's great to see your face on this rare occasion, even if it's digitally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't actually zoomed. We've talked on the phone, but uh, it's nice to see how long everyone's hair has gotten. And uh... <laughs> you've kind of got a good male model look going, though, so it's really working for you. <laughs> um, so, Mark, uh, as uh, you sort of know, this is a podcast Jordan and I run about television, science fiction, and uh, not the not the hits, but the uh, the lesser known ones. The B side. Uh, are you a sci-fi TV fan? Is this something you watched um, as a kid or as an adult, or are you not? A, are you not a sci-fi guy? No, I I do love sci-fi. I I mean I say that while also being embarrassed to admit that I've I've never watched an episode of Star Trek of any generation. I've seen some of the films, <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah you know I guess sci-fi films uh, were a big part of my childhood, and they still are. I love you know. It's a genre I really love, and I find that I've gotten it. But Earth Two, when you mentioned it, I was it just was full of nostalgia. It took me right back because I remember like getting super excited when I first heard about it, leading up to the premiere and and watching it as a kid on TV. So it was pretty exciting to get to revisit it, <laughs> and then you know sort of you know uh, have to come to terms. Rem- with your yeah, exactly. <laughs> A little bit of that. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, especially having, you know, being be working in film and stuff and getting to appreciate uh, very different films from all over and then looking at it through that lens. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it holds up, but uh, there was definitely, <laughs> there was definitely still a lot that I, I enjoyed. 
Well, this is one of the interesting ones. I would say, Jordan, I could be wrong. This has to be one of the shows where we've had the most guests who have a recollection or a fond nostalgia for it, even though they don't really remember the show, but they're like, I remember when it came out and I remember being excited about it. And I mean, that's probably generational too from the generation we're from, but it's just funny how much this show resonated. It's like a lot of things. If you were at a certain age when you watched this thing, it was your jam. And now as your hair starts receding and uh, you pay a mortgage and everything else, you you look at the show and go, nah, I don't know. I don't know how good this thing is. I mean, it's it's very fair. I think uh, as even as we've watched it, there's been some real highlights and lowlights. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and you know, I think it's fair to say that uh, for today's generation, they'll be doing podcasts in 20 years on The Mandalorian, possibly <laughs> saying similar things. <laughs> what you're saying is Earth 2 is just as good as The Mandalorian? <laughs> I've been as excited about The Mandalorian right now as I was for Earth 2. I'm curious how it'll hold up. I mean, I'm not here to talk about The Mandalorian. I could definitely start nitpicking, but uh, <laughs> that went apart too, but... <laughs> Are you gonna are you gonna nitpick the name of Baby Yoda? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think there's sort of a unanimous like you accept that he has a name, but I, I don't think people are necessarily gonna stop calling him Baby Yoda. I think it's great. I like that Baby Yoda's parents were a big fan of Dragon Ball Z, wanted to name him after the lead character. I think it's great. <laughs> what a nerdy comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we, shall we get into this week's episodes? Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, before we get into this, Grendler's in the Mist, that's that's like some sort of pun on Gorillas in the Mist? Is that the joke? Yeah, it has But to what's be. the I joke? Mean, I, there wasn't a lot of mist either. That's what I mean. What's the joke? <laughs> I don't know. It's stupid. I... <laughs> that's just a great title, Jordan. Grendler's in the Mist. All right. Okay. Accepted. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have called it? <laughs> I don't know. A waste of an hour? <laughs> All right, well, here's the IMDb summary for episode 14, Grendlers in the Mist. With narration by Danzinger, the scouts chase a Grendler to locate its stash. The group also receives mysterious transmissions by Adele to a Waylon, and a primitive hut is found. Finally, True learns the truth about her mother. And that was courtesy of R.W. Zimdapa. You know, it's funny. I'll just say before we even start... We're recording a little bit later than we normally do, so my memory now apparently is only good for a day or so, so I could barely remember these episodes. And until you said that, I forgot about the reveal at the very end of this episode, which is perhaps my favorite thing that is this show has done, because it's the <laughs> funniest thing, and I laughed and laughed and laughed. Anyways, that's just a tease for later. Save it. Save it. I'll, we'll get into True's storyline closer to the end, because it's very standalone. But uh, this episode begins... The uh, Eden Project has been on Earth 2 for 72 days. They've been surviving the winter for only 20 days, which I was shocked to hear they'd only been in the winter for 20 days because it feels like a lot longer. Didn't they say 27? Was it 27 days? I thought it was they were on the planet for 72, but it had been winter for 20. Either way, it feels much longer. <laughs> I do feel like I thought winter had been going on for months at this point. But uh, that's what you get from serialized television, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They also note midway through the episode two, uh, the uh, character, um, he's part robot, part uh, human. Why is his name slipping my mind, Jordan? Yale. Yeah, Yale. Yeah. He's talking about how he's been looking at the data he's gathering, and he thinks this is going to be a longer winter than usual on the planet. But then he says he doesn't know what a normal winter is. <laughs> that line stuck out to me, too. <laughs> it's something we've seen in this show before, which is, 
they've apparently spent all this money and time and effort to repopulate a planet, but have done none of the research as to what the planet's like until they get there. They're just like the first time they arrive, they're like, can we eat anything here? (laughs) How long is this winter going to be? Hard to say. Yeah. I like that this also begins with their, uh, they're stealing from a Grendler again. They've done this before and they know Grendlers don't like to be stolen from. (laughs) Who does? I was going to ask because I I only got to revisit these two episodes, but a question I had was they have come to this planet for its healing purposes, I believe, for... And, you, well, that just turned out to be a side effect, but Is yes. that kind of just like, is that, was that kind of the motive of, of coming here? Yeah, to, to fix the little boy. But to Jordan's point, really, I'm not sure why they knew that, but not really anything else about anything else. <laughs> To be fair, uh, they're they they just hoped the planet's air. It was like kind of it's like taking an elderly relative to like the mountains. That's what they thought they were doing. It's like oh, it'll be fresher air that'll help them. It just so happened the planet is also a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) So they're chasing this Grendler, and it's this whole thing through snow. They find all these supplies, and there's this whole thing. It's like oh, these aren't supplies that this Grendler stole from us or from the penal colonists. So I guess we're supposed to understand, and you won't know this, uh, Mark, but since they've gotten to this uninhabited planet, they've discovered that it's A, filled with penal colonists, and then B, is also filled with radical botanists or something who also came to the planet before them. There's like a lot of people who have come to this empty planet that they weren't aware of. No, there seems to be a lot of groups that conveniently pop up. And even in these two episodes, you're right, there's a lot of penal colonies or abandoned, like like uh facilities where they used to keep prisoners um yeah i i, I couldn't really keep track of who who, or who they had on the, yeah or who was on their side or who they were really running from it just felt like whoever served the story <laughs> that you know showed up <laughs> I, that's kind of it does feel like they just started they've started realizing they painted themselves into a corner on an uninhabited planet and there just seems to be more and more people inhabiting this planet from episode of so this one in particular after they find this stash of winter clothes the Grendler I guess was hiding and they need to stay warm we come to see that they're being stalked to the woods by a man in a metal mask mm-hmm. I like the metal mask though I thought he looked cool for what it's worth yeah it was it reminded me a little bit of the man in the iron mask I don't know if you guys remember the Leonardo DiCaprio film it had a similar kind of vibe mm-hmm. I also I also thought the same thing. Only his had sort of like a Jim Henson-esque like mouth that opened and closed like a puppet. It was funny. I, I was like, the articulated mouth was a real choice. Yeah. <laughs> a big choice, yeah. Uh, this guy's <laughs> going to be stalking them this episode. To like For a while, we won't know what's going on. But they get back to camp with these winter clothes. They've solved their freezing to death in the winter problem. But everybody has been having strange dreams, apparently. Everyone's been having weird dreams about their mother. Uh, the one character, uh, Morgan, I believe at some point says, his mother has been calling him incessantly in his dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, just for Jordan, that reminded me of that other movie we watched, yeah, Ghost I, of Sierra de Cobra. <laughs> I thought the same thing. The movie where the ghost mom keeps calling her son. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what they come to learn is they're all dreaming about their mothers or a mother figure because there's some sort of laser cast they call it being broadcast just willy-nilly around the area and their equipment starts picking it up and they kind of get to learn that there's a woman hiding somewhere she's sending messages to her ex-husband and the son he abducted 
And because the planet has a, quote, highly responsive metaphysical plane, the laser cast is also going into their dreams. Yeah, it makes sense. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a thread I didn't want to pull too hard on, for sure. Like, the logic of, of the dream world. And, I mean, and I, I know we'll talk about the, the second episode later, too. But with the way people are connecting with dreams, it's very convenient uh, from, I think, a, a narrative place. Because I was like... They have all this stuff kind of just coming at them via dreams. And just very conveniently, as soon as something develops, one of them wakes up from a dream with some new new information. New <laughs> I have a question, though, for both of you. At this point, we know that there's a signal going out and someone is transmitting. I wasn't sure if it's just because I've watched a lot of television in my life. But the first thing I assumed was that it was an old transmission. Because we know it's a planet where we don't think it's very... It, it, we've mentioned that it's being inhabited by people and everything seems like various groups and societies things that have kind of collapsed so my assumption even if i was a character in the show would be this might be an old signal that keeps firing but they're just like gotta be real time and i don't know was there a reason why they assumed or is it just it was dumb of me to assume that was old i made the same assumption be- i mean in, I, I had that same sort of bump where i i assume because also too she's not it, that wasn't like a distress signal it was more like she was talking at at somebody specific, which sounded just like an old mm-hmm. an old piece of static, you know, that they've that they picked up. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was in the same boat. I immediately was like, "Oh, this is just an old recording you've picked up." I think it is because it's like this is an old trope plot, right? But something they did at the beginning, like I feel like there's a way you can still do it and make it at least try to pull the right. Like for whatever reason, even that first signal, I think. All of us had the same instinct. Just like, oh, this isn't real time. Which is very strange that we all were like, no, this is clearly, this woman is dead. But I mean, to be fair to the show, it could be that a show that's now almost 30 years old, the mechanics behind it are are showing a little bit. But that might just be me being nice. Regardless, I think we all kind of saw the the turn coming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in these messages, we really get to see because she's sending them to her husband and I guess her son or her ex-husband anyway. And basically, she's really implying that her husband has, like, gone insane and wants to kill her and is, like, poisoning her their 10-year-old son against her. Uh, my favorite part, though, she's like, son, if you're getting these, you're 10 years old now. You're a man. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but because it's so obvious, like, because, like, the idea was so obvious, like, I immediately knew I'm like, oh, that man in the Iron Mask, that's going to be her son, isn't it? <laughs> Also, Luke, it's 10 New Pacifica years. They're not Earth years. Oh, good point, Jordan. That's, this, is my, this is my misunderstanding. Yeah, 10 years in New Pacifica could be 20 years on Earth. Yeah, they're longer than regular years, but I don't know how long. <laughs> <laughs> As um, the winter. Because <laughs> of the winter. <laughs> uh, anyway... The characters in the show pretty much spend their time trying to pinpoint where this, like, laser cast is coming from. And uh, while they're doing that, we've got, a, we've got like, kind of Danzinger and Alonzo and his bro squad of all those, like, background dudes they hang out with are on, like, a mission to find food, I guess. And they stumble across, like, an old, I guess, a shelter in the woods, but it looks like something, like, 13-year-olds would build in a forest. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, while they're doing this, of course, they immediately realize this is where the laser cast is getting sent to. This must be where this this kid's being held captive. And as they're looking at it, like the man in the iron mask appears and starts like firing his laser crossbow at them. I guess not to jump. I maybe jump I'm all misremembering, over. but uh, 
weren't they also under the impression that the uh, Grendler may have the kid or have done something to him? I mean, they're always they're always suspicious of any of the uh, native population of this planet. They're often <laughs> very suspicious they're going to be killed or hunted by them. So I believe that may be true. Don't the Grendlers look great, though? Every time they show up, I'm like, it's just great. I love seeing these full body puppet characters. They're also more three dimensional than most of the human cast. I agree. I, I really felt for him. Like, I definitely feel like even through his, like, few emotions, like, you were really getting, like, that he was a really, like, struck, like, tormented soul. Like, there was something really, like, going on with him in this mission. Even from, like, the first interaction when he, when he came back for the, the item that they that they took when they took all their stuff back. Yeah, that's kind of the scene that comes up here with the Grendlers. He, he storms into camp and he's all pissed off. Uh, yeah. Because obviously they just stole all his stuff from his cave. But really all he wants is this one bag. And once they kind of hand it over, he happily trundles away. Although we get this, although it's at that moment that we see that a, a new laser cast is coming in and it appears to be like entering the Grendler's brain. They didn't explain why the Grendler can hear the transmission not through his dreams or he doesn't need any technology. It just like seems to give him a headache. Yeah. It's just the shape of his skull. It's just very <laughs> resonant. It, was it just because they want to show that he also hears the transmission? Like, there was no result of that at all. Well, they were trying to, I think, connect that he knew, like, he recognized the woman. Like, not just the transmission, but that, I think that's what sparked their thoughts that uh, he had some connection to Del Curry. Del the, Curry. Like the woman. Was that Former <laughs> basketball player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Former basketball player, mother trying to get her son back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, narratively, you're right. Like, that's what's sort of happening with that. But, like, why does a Grendler absorb a, a a technology called a laser cast into its brain and interpret it? I'm not 100% sure that's new. A lot of new information here. Like, why is that happening? We've never seen the dream plane work in this fashion before. There's a lot of, like, I think uh, they're just, this episode needed a lot of, like, hand-waving to make it work, so they were happy to just, like, I don't know, it goes into his brain. Well, it's because the story is so new and original that they're like, you know what, no one's gonna worry about the details. The most important thing is that we're gonna fool everyone with this transmission that's really an old one. <laughs> uh, good old Yale, though, he's been looking into the missing Dale Curry and her husband, Waylon, she keeps mentioning, and he's able to pull up some facts in his uh, robotic Wikipedia brain that they were they were the leaders of this radical environmentalist group who, in this they say, were tried on Earth for crimes and then sent here. So I guess they're also penal colonists. I thought these people came here on their own accord, but I'm more and more confused by the lore of the show every episode. Everyone's a radical. That's all I know. Everyone's pretty radical. That is true. Mm -hmm. They're all pretty radical. I have to admit, I was a little confused on top of that, sort of where the rift between Dell and her husband really came from. Like, what was the, you know, sort of like difference of opinion or different belief system that that turned them against one another um, to the point where he wanted to turn the his son, you know, take his son away from it. Did he just, I think maybe they're just going, maybe he had a schizophrenic break is what they were going for. I, I think it's when they saw the kid's room that he had skulls all over the place. And then they had different ways of parenting, of dealing with it. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happens here is uh, they head back to that fort in the woods and they, uh, they bring the robot Zero's head in a bag. <laughs> they chop off his head and bring it in a bag just so it can act as a sensor, I guess. That's how robots work. 
And uh, they go into this fort and they, they find there's some booby traps in there and some kids' toys. And yes, as you mentioned, Jordan, in the closet is an altar made of human skulls for some reason. Yeah, he's really into heavy metal. I, maybe I'm getting ahead myself and giving it too much credit. I guess there's no way that those... <laughs> could they be the parents' heads? Knowing that... Oh, knowing that they're dead. What, well, I mean, we don't know. They never come back to it. So in the moment, we're not sure. They're still trying to push this idea that... <laughs> That it's a re, you know live broadcast, but then we learn that it's just you know, and I, I don't want to get ahead of you, Luke. But no, no, it's all, we we've already said they're dead. It's okay. Yeah, like when they come and realize that it's a hologram. I mean, but they, I feel like that would be worth mentioning. So they probably just there were quite a, just and there were quite a few heads there. And didn't at some point they imply that Wayland, the ex husband, had become a cannibal or something? Hmm, I don't know. I might have missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wasn't sure what was going Like, they never come back to a closet full of human skulls. And it just feels like there's a lot of, there's something missing there that we need to know about. Like, I don't know. Maybe like the, maybe it was like just quick and dirty way to suggest that he's either dangerous or has been defending himself from, you know, the other radicals that also inhabit this planet. <laughs> When you're setting up your cabin in the woods, though, do you set up your your living area or do you set up your skull room first? <laughs> I think I'd save my skull room till after I knew all my pots and pans were in place. <laughs> I just want to, I want, want to make sure that I don't use it, waste a good space on something else. Cause yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, once everything's in place, you're like, all right, it's time to set up the skulls. Yeah. <laughs> you're a little more care. You need some more time mm-hmm. for it. Where's a good focal point when people enter? It's a conversation piece. <laughs> um. But as you're saying about, like, quick and dirty, Mark, um, there's also, like, I think all this episode, every turn of the episode felt quick. Like, in the cabin in the woods, they find a map that someone has been drawing, and that map happens to mirror the exact sort of triangulation they've been doing back at camp to where the laser cast is coming from. They're like, oh, somehow over the years, they've been also able to get this vague area that Del Curry might be hiding in. And I guess, too, like, I mean, again, we learn later that his mask is to repel the radio waves. So then I'm wondering how he was sort of searching that same area if he wasn't listening to her. Like, I, like my impression was he wasn't looking for her. I guess the Grendler was. Or no, I guess the Grendler was looking for him. Yes. that's It's very confusing because, like, <laughs> yeah, we learned that the mask was to repel the laser cast. Yeah. Like a tinfoil hat would to keep you from the alien signals. <laughs> but it doesn't also seem to work. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's... <laughs> the mask doesn't work, but he's like, I've committed. I yeah. made the mask. I've made a little jaw hinge on it. So I'm wearing this mask whether it's working or not. <laughs> it's like when you're a hat guy. You just got to commit. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to that Grendler you just mentioned, though, Mark. Yes, he is searching. As we come to find out, he's searching for the man in the mask and we we yeah. it sort of happens off camera but he finds him and the man in the iron mask fires his laser crossbow into the poor grendler and we get we get a whole scene where the the team shows up and tries to rescue this grendler they're looking at his injuries and giving him like i guess medication and they discover he's underneath all his layers of grendler clothing he's wearing a shirt that says del curry on it it's, this is the point when they realize oh this grendler he's a friend of del curry's we should follow him and find her yeah, it, it was a bit of a funny moment, too, because, like, I, when you see an, the article of clothing, to me, didn't really imply that he was a, an acquaintance as much <laughs> as it implied that he robbed her at some point or took something of hers as well. 
Or that uh, she was dead. That's what it applied she, to me. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also, again, and maybe this is just, again, something you have to accept, but the Grendlers, for all the fear they seem to strike into the crew, and, and then even in this moment when they're trying to resuscitate him and give him medical attention, he sort of, like, freaks out and then runs off, and they talk like he's just like whipped out of sight but this thing like these grendlers like they got no speed they're waddling away but they're talking about him like they've almost like lot they're like i think there's a line even where they're like well we'll track him and i'm like i know you can still see him i know he's like 20 feet in front of you because he cannot he cannot move very fast but uh but you go along with it at this point i was desperate when they when they uh the grendler was wearing the dell shirt I was hoping, I knew they would never do it, but I was really hoping that what they were going to find out was that as a human, if you're on the planet for too long, you eventually evolved into a Grendler. And I don't know if that was supposed to be like, if if that was just me, but I was really hoping that's what they were going to find. And then all the the rest of the episode, they're going to be like, I guess we're going to be Grendlers. That's not, (laughs) that's not what happened. (laughs) That'd be a great twist. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been, that would have been good. I, yeah. A little bit of metamorphosis, uh. Yeah, a lot more. I think you're giving the the show a little too much credit, but <laughs> <laughs> I've watched a lot of episodes of this. Uh, Metal Mask, meanwhile, they're they're hot on the trail of Metal Mask, I guess, because they found his map. He shot this Grendler, uh, but he's got a plan of his own because Metal Mask has snuck into the Eden Project camp and uh, he finds old uh, Martin Morgan Martin and uh, abducts him at Laser Crossbow Point. And like, this is I think when we're supposed to realize he's insane he like speaks in riddles and is talking about like the w- the radio waves hitting his brain and basically threatens morgan our uh, resident coward into telling him where dell probably is hiding and then strings him up in a tree by his ankles mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah it, it definitely looked like a lot more work than necessary again to to do something because he was high up too he wasn't just like hanging inconveniently yeah. like a couple feet off the ground how, like, how long do you think it takes <laughs> to hog tie a guy like that and hang him in a tree <laughs> Like just tie him to the tree. You're just trying to like, I guess he didn't kill him. So just like I'm just saying him. It was a <laughs> of someone who loves skulls so much, I think he really missed a turn there. There was a perfectly brand new skull to add to his collection and he just tossed it aside. <laughs> Threw it away. This is just occurring to me now too, Jordan. This is the second time someone's tied Morgan to a tree and left him in the woods. Is that right? Who did it before? Remember when Dr. Heller uh, tried to merge with the Tarians and went insane? Mm, yeah. And they thought she, she had killed Morgan? And just for, for anyone who's listened to all these episodes, this is by far the most competent we've ever seen that character of Morgan, huh? Oh, I was just going to say, like, he seems like the kind of character who would end up being tied upside down to a tree more than once. Oh, he still so- sucks. <laughs> he's still a cartoon character. But for some, like, after the episodes we've just seen where he's like, he might as well be like Daffy Duck. <laughs> At least in this episode, he's like, he can use a computer for some reason. Yeah, I think after that big Morgan episode where he quote unquote learned his lesson, I think they've tried to like... Uh, tamp down his uh, cowardly incompetence. But... He's, he's still got the sideburns, though. <laughs> um, but at any rate, getting back to the plot, they they track down Morgan and they find out, oh, Metal Mask is headed off to that cave. There's actually like three different parties going on. There's like the party that was with the Grendler. There's like a search party out hunting the Metal Mask. There's the team from Eden. And they all like merge, uh, these three B-plots all merge together at Morgan hanging from a tree. And they're like, he must have gotten in that cave over there. So all of our plots tie together. What I really like though is like, all the adults have now abandoned camp. And you they cut back to camp. <laughs> 
and they've left the two kids in charge running the computers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels like just one of those uh, sort of TV things where it's like out of sight. Out. No, one, no one will think about that. No one's going to think about who's looking after the kids. It would be wonderful if they cut back to the children. They were both dead. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's what happens. Also, those characters are annoying, so no big loss. <laughs> well, the kids back at camp, they're watching the laser cast. And what they're seeing is Del Curry is once again talking to them via this radio, this radio signal. Except this time... Her ex-husband walks in, and he's got a laser crossbow, too, and they're at a laser crossbow standoff. I also liked how everybody just sort of felt like they were entering, like, stage right to come into this cave. Like, there was no, like, (laughs) you know, shots of them wandering through, like, a cavernous, like, winding tunnel. It was just, like, you just sort sort of step into this space where she's sitting and chatting <laughs> they'd only build 10 feet of yeah I, so that'd really make it work it was like you're you stretch the budget on this one you can put up a couple eight by eights and <laughs> i mean this is where the episode almost got me for a hot second because the team kind of walks into this cave section too and what we see as viewers is it's not an empty room where a uh where people used to be and there's like an old TV signal coming out of it. There's actually like two characters standing there pointing laser rifles at them. And of course, Devin, uh, she she's like going to save her old Del Curry, runs, dives at the ex-husband and just passes through him. Why did Devin want to save this guy? I was like, why? You don't know anything. You're not involved in this. Why bother? Who cares if he's getting shot? She's a mother. Devin's a mother. <laughs> I guess. She wants to save her son. Why I wouldn't guess. she want to save this woman? <laughs> Also, how else are we going to know that they're holograms unless someone pokes their fingers into one of them? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it's, yeah, at this point we discover that, this is so confusing me, that the laser cast that has been apparently playing on loop every 60 days for the past 20 years is not just a laser cast that gets sent out like a radio signal, but it's also live recording to a bunch of holograms that are also hollow projecting in this, ca- like, there's so many levels to this. Like, you'd think it was just like pre-recorded getting sent out, but in fact, it's like a live feed of holograms recreating a scene. Like, it's like a play that replays every sixty days. It in was like cave? all three acts of their encounter up to like the like <laughs> dramatic climax. Is just... <laughs> I just really wondered. I'm like, how do you set that? How, like, you're Dell. You're sitting in the cave, and you're like, one, I'm gonna send out messages to my son. Two. I'm going to make sure they play on loop every 60 days. Three, I'm going to make sure I hollow record everything. And that hollow recording also loops it. Like there were just so many stages to this woman's plan to haunt her son for 20 years. Also, she's like, what I'd like my son to see is this horrible bit of uh, his mother and father killing each other. (laughs) I want him to watch that on repeat. I don't know, 20, 30 years. Like three times, three times a year. Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of, uh, you're right, Luke. I, I feel like um, uh, when when she uh, died, I guess, like you would assume, like the recording would have to be preset in order to not only capture everything up to her death, but then also add it to the recordings being transmitted. And also then stop yeah. recording when she's dead and not just continue recording. Like <laughs> That is a boring yeah. recording of just her dead body on the cave transmitting for 20 Maybe years. Maybe the Grendler. Well, I guess he wasn't involved. It would have been funny if the Grendler did a little edit. And... The Grendler should have headphones just on one ear, and he's also <laughs> scratching like he's a DJ. That's what I would picture. I also wonder, too, because what we see here is the scene plays out. They kill each other. The wife and husband kill each other. 
our Iron Mask man comes in and, and witnesses the death of his mother, and now he understands what everything that's happened to him the last 20 years means. It all makes sense. But that was also a weird way, Luke, because he's just in the shadows for some reason. I think it's Devin or someone's like, this all happened 20 years ago, didn't it? Like, Mask Man. And he just steps out and he's like, yep. Well, and he, and he leans over his mother and he's just like, I finally understand you're not a crazy ghost haunting my dreams. You're my mother. But it's also like, if if your mother died on the floor where this hologram died, is there not just a skeleton you're standing over I right now? I did wonder that as well, like why there was no sort of physical, rem- like the real remnants of what was going on. Um. <laughs> also, a big payday for the actor who played the man in the metal mask. Also got to play the, his phone oh. father. <laughs> it was so funny when he took off his mask. I'm like, hey, yeah. it's the same it Also, <laughs> I found it a little bit more because they didn't really seem to go out of their way to do anything like give the dad version even a little stubble or like you know something uh so it threw me for a minute because i was like uh, yeah it it definitely threw me i was like i I get what they're doing but it they looked identical it would have been great if they watch this all happen they watch the hologram and then the man air match takes off his mask and someone's like oh it's the crazy husband get Um, but this is it. This is kind of explains, this basically explains everything that's happened. It's just been like this horrible, I don't know what, like the horrible nightmare this poor kid's been living in for the last 20 years. And then like Yale explains that somehow the Grendler had indeed met Del Curry while she was alive and that Del had given the Grendler a note to give to her son. Yeah. And like at the end of the episode, the Grendler finally gives the note to the son after 20 years. And I was just like... How did the Grendler take twenty years to deliver this note? Like, <laughs> the wor- like it was just the worst delivery system. Well, that's what I found really interesting. I was like, there were already sort of three people at play between Dell, the Grendler, and Mask Metal Mask, and for like for two decades, none of them crossed paths. And it's not like it's not like the the new team, like Danzinger and and company, really brought that like missing element to the puzzle like they didn't just somehow accidentally uncover this like thing that led them all to the cave it was just like in the ensuing chaos which they were involved in now they all discovered Dell in the cave but I I didn't know how so much time went by and nobody made any progress either (laughs) without them (laughs) it was it was it did seem like our heroes were not required no no. but also too like these other two mask guy and uh, the Grendler did a pretty bad job. I was also a little disappointed after everything that they didn't uh, give us like a little nugget of what that message Dell wanted to get to her son was. I mean, maybe it was just your father was a liar, like, but I thought there would be a little bit. Just a bad divorce <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just hoping there would be a little bit of like a, you know, moral of the story kind of thing. And maybe it was there in, in on the script and they were just like, we don't need to include yeah. that. It was such a weird ending, too, because, like, the Scooby gang has saved, solved the mystery of the man in the Iron Mask, and they're like, oh, it's just this poor kid who's been tormented for 20 years. Bye. Yeah. Have fun in the woods. We're leaving you. <laughs> well, and I think what he learned about his family was probably more devastating than what he all, like, originally thought. Like, what... <laughs> That's true. But, like, I'm just saying, invite that kid back to camp for a hot yeah, meal. Yeah, just send him back off into the woods with his... I guess he doesn't have to wear his mask anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, he does. It, it didn't work anyways. He just likes it. Anyway, that that kind of wraps up the A-plot. Let's really quickly talk about this weird B-plot that's happening here with our our favorite uh, little kid character, True Danzinger. Because everyone was dreaming about mothers at the start, it's really got on a kick of like, hey, 
who's my mother? Which is <laughs> never a question that's been asked in the show really before, but, I, you know, might as well tie it all together. And there's kind of this subplot that runs through it where uh, Morgan's wife, Bess, is trying to get answers for True because True's so sad about not knowing anything about her mother. And Danzinger, her dad, is like, as always, just like a really closed off jerk. Like, I think Bess goes to visit him. He's like, hey, I think your daughter might like to know about her mom. And he's just like, that's my business. I don't have to tell her anything. Well, and I, I don't know if I was alone, but did you sort of get the sense that they were trying to even imply that maybe Danzinger was responsible for or did something really uh, kind of awful? Yeah. <laughs> that did seem to be the case there. It was such a weird implication, too, because I'm like, I, I know that no, won't be exactly. true. Why are you attempting to? Well, especially because he is like the lead. He's like your lead kind of... Uh, kind of leading this whole thing and you haven't seen the show obviously all the way through like we have they've gone to like great lengths to create characters that could have moral gray mm. areas and then wash those away to let you know everyone is as pure as the white snow on this show so it like it never really settles because right. we're i never for a second believe they're ever going to reveal anything no. bad about Danzinger. <laughs> However, I'm I'm not going to try to defend Danziger on his attitude about being like, leave me alone, or I don't want to talk about it. However, I think it is a little weird that not only Bess is so interested in, like, discovering this non-mystery, but then also she, like, goes to other people and they're, like, going through records and stuff. I personally would be a little offended if I found out everyone, all my friends and family were, like, researching about me. I'd be like, yeah, now, now it isn't your business. Give me a break. Yeah, it's like you're spreading rumors that I was an abusive husband and <laughs> digging yeah. through my medical. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's yeah. the plot. Is they they keep playing. It's like oh, I think he I think he might have killed yeah. this woman. It's like guys, this is not yeah. cool. Well, that's kind of best gets Yale to check his records like he did with the other people, and he he he's able to pull up that True's mother is Eleanor Brackett. Ellie and bracket more. <laughs> yeah, not important. Her official at all. record let you know she preferred Ellie. <laughs> uh, she was on a work crew with Danzinger on the stations that orbited Earth, and they were on a repair job that went wrong where her oxygen was cut off and she was left, as they put it, neuro dead, which I guess is brain dead. In space. <laughs> in space. And uh, she was brought back in, and it turned out she was three months pregnant, and Danzinger felt so bad he had her put on medical support so. You know, they could keep the baby. Did you... Okay, was it just me? Did it seem like they were implying that Danzinger wasn't the father? No, I thought he was yeah, the I father. Didn't, I didn't get that. Okay. I, I was trying to watch him. I was like, are they saying Danzinger felt so bad that this woman he knows di- almost died that he kept her child, but he's not like the... Okay, so that's not the case. Great. No, the point is that he has a brain-dead woman that they still had uh, carry the child for the rest of the other six months so that he could then have the baby and then take her out to a weird planet yeah well that's kind of what it comes down to is danzinger sort of finally takes Bess aside unrelated to anything or not Bess, true aside unrelated to anything that's been happening this episode he finally just tells his daughter the truth and he explains to her that her mother is neuro dead and there's some sort of technology they have called stim which would allow you to it's like a technique to replicate the baseline personality of a person from their brain but he never thought it would be good enough, so he never did the stim to his comatose wife. But he has kept her alive in a coma. And you don't know this, Mark. Mm. The journey to Earth 2 took 27 years to get there. So this girl's been alive since she's like 10 years old. So he's kept this woman in a brain-death coma for now nearly 30-plus years back on Earth. Yeah. And he's just like, I did it so that if one day you want to stim her brain, you can. In the meantime, I've got this cool VR program where you can meet your mother. 
he plugs it in and true goes into vr and i expected her to like meet like an old version of her mother but it is a woman in a coma looking emaciated completely bald like a living oh, skeleton so like a nightmare like you're a nightmare for someone imagine you're dead and they've kept you alive in this like yeah. tube and they send this small child in and be like here's your mother she's a corpse and she loves it she loves her it. response i think when she comes back was she's beautiful She's, I know. My first thing was, well, I guess we're getting you glasses because <laughs> guess what? Your mother is a hideous, hideous monster. And if you think the trauma that uh, old uh, Steel Face just went through, well, just wait for you for your teenage years like, as you relive this wrap horror. Wrap your mind around what actually took place. I I had some real ethical issues with, you know, I I understood the you know sort of uh, desire to to like have the baby survive and 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 keep that you know bring her to term. Absolutely. But then to, I was like, at first my I thought that he was gonna like send her to like, kind of a similar situation as Dell, like a laser projection, like you said, of of her mom, not just and because the thing is she's not actually going to meet her physical mother. She's just being projected. No, it's a to, pre-recorded. It's a pre-recorded image. No, well, no, I I mean my understanding was that. Or maybe maybe I misunderstood. My understanding was that she was actually just like sort of digitally teleported to the medical room where her mom is still hooked up. Well, I think you're right in that I think her mom is still hooked up to a medical room just like that. But I don't think they have the ability to transport someone back to Earth from Earth to. So I think this is a pre-recorded image he took before he left 27 years oh, ago. Oh, I felt like she was just sort of like, uh, I mean, either way, I it was implied that she's still, as we see her somewhere... And I was like, well, why don't you just take the sample and freeze it and then give her this decision and show her a nice picture in like a locket or something. There's a <laughs> lot of stuff. to, and You don't know this, Mark, either, but Jordan will remember this. Uh, Danziger's backstory is that he is carrying three generations of his family's debt on his back. So he is basically a he is basically a slave to the wealthy class on these stations because of how much debt he carries. And then he chose to keep this woman in a coma for 30 years in a, in a medical practice i'm just i was just like this is fiscally insane well, yeah because i yeah that's the problem with it luke <laughs> it's that it's fiscally insane that's that's the major problem of showing your daughter this horrible Living horrible <laughs> skeletal monster of your mother you go hey you wanted to see her there you go and she's like kill me Pull the plug. yeah i <laughs> he paid so much money i for did that. wonder where he got it like why he had so much money that was my question but you're saying he actually has it's just more debt. He's just incurring more debt. Appar- apparently, he's just dug himself further and further into debt. <laughs> do you think, unrelated, do you think Danziger has been uh, periodically going into this uh, this VR land just to peek at this uh, horrible monster every now and then? He's like, yep, still gross. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> There's a future episode where we learn he felt betrayed by her. So this is his, like, ironic punishment for her. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that wraps up that episode. Let's let's continue. I could talk about that final scene forever. <laughs> um, here's the IMDb summary for episode 15: the greatest love story never told. Again, it's a pun, right? Nothing, none of these things have been puns. I don't think. <laughs> I feel like in the the 90s, though, I feel like the writers probably never thought that people would see these titles. Like they, and I think that must be part of it. You know, that I mean? could be true. <laughs> It's not like they're on the front of the episode. I, you know, yeah, I, I don't mean to like dwell on the Grendlers and the Mist, so I apologize. But I did have a note because I was curious if you guys noticed. This is just like a really random post decision. 
But the number of times that I heard the like screech of a red tail oh, the hawk. eagle well i no, i know exactly what bird it is because i've used this sound effect in things myself it's a red tail hawk and i started counting it about halfway in and even just counting the second half i got like over 30 like it's it's happening like at once to twice a minute when they're outside in the woods and it's ident- <laughs> it's not like they've got four different bird calls that they're peppering or rotating well, I think in the mythology of this of this show, there's one really dominant bird, and so that's all you hear. But we have actually mentioned it before okay. that it's it's hilarious to the like it's to the point where I think any viewer would notice it because whoever's doing the edits like, oh, is a little space there? I guess we're adding that bird Stop in it again. In there. I the only credit I'll give the show is that you know I think again we're watching with headphones. I most people were watching while they were eating dinner or watching on their couch on a television. Would have been a little less, I think, noticeable, but... Right, they were reading Papal Magazine, they weren't full paying full attention. <laughs> I disagree. I think even if you were some sort of skeletal monster... In a coma. <laughs> laying, laying your bed, you still would have heard it. Neural dead. Still would have heard it. <laughs> all right, all right, let's, on, we'll get on to the next episode. Uh, here's the IMDb summary for episode 15, The Greatest Love Story Never Told. We were jettisoned here together, but her sleep capsule malfunctioned. The rest of us, we didn't age. But she woke up. She was old. She thought she'd lost everything. Her youth, her beauty. She made me swear on blood she would never lose me. Who is she? Her name is Katrina. Having gotten lost and dragged into a cave, Danzinger lies ill in a bed. As stipulated through a dream, Devin seeks to search for him alone and meets Shepard, who surprisingly knows her very well. Again, courtesy of R.W. Zimdapar, good friend. (laughs) This show should be called Dreams. What can't they do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this episode starts off, Danzinger is wandering, randomly lost around in a desert. I guess he's gotten lost after a terrible windstorm. And he's also caught in a, a really bad wind cold while he's out there. Um, anyway, he collapses and is is brought into an encampment of formal pe- former penal colonists who now live in the caves amongst the Tarians. And the their so sort of society is run by a man in an eye patch known as the Governor. Governor Shepard, yeah. Can I make one note? The characters we're going to meet are Governor Shepard, Katrina, the Elder. Did you guys catch what the the little boy is? Uh, they never actually say his name, but on IMDb, he's credited as the Ragamuffin. <laughs> I tried to I tried to figure out who he was. I was look I did go looking for him because I felt like he was a kid that popped up in like Full House or something like at some point. He was one of those just kids in early nineties yeah. TV. If you needed like a next door neighbor, like dropping an ice cream, he yeah, was the kid. No, I definitely recognized him. Jordan, I, this is just for you because you've watched all these episodes. Did you notice one strange thing about the start of this episode? Um, I don't know. It's the only episode with no nar- narration at the oh, start. Oh, you're right. Every episode up till now has been narrated by a different character. This is the only time it's never happened, and it like blew my <laughs> mind. It's because they were too busy f- doing all those eagle calls. They forgot to put in the voiceover. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, back at camp, they've noticed Dan Ziggers missing. And they're organizing their, like, what, 75th search party now? (laughs) Yeah, every episode there's a search party. (laughs) Except this time, Alonzo wakes up from one of his classic dreams 
and tells Devin that she's been summoned to this cave that Danzinger's in, and she must only come alone. Yeah, they're like, why? He's like, uh, vague reasons. They're like, why? He's like, I don't know, dreams. Yeah. But she hops in her little desert cart and heads out to uh, meet the little ragamuffin dirt boy to be led <laughs> off to the caves. But she's not alone because little True is so worried about her dad. She snuck, ar- she snuck along for the ride. Which is also maybe, the, I think, the 30th time that's happened on the show, too. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just like a classic 90s, like, trope. Kid sneaks away in the backseat or in the trunk. (laughs) It does show how little anyone notices what happens at that camp. She, like, sneaks off so often and nobody notices for hours on end. At any rate, uh, they get to these caves with the penal colonists. And what she comes to learn is they've been living here, you know, since the penal colonists were settled. They've obviously started, like, families there. They've been living there kind of for a generation or two. Apparently, and this is new to me because we've seen the Tarians walking around in winter, but apparently now the Tarians also hibernate all winter. So in amongst the caves are all the Tarians sleeping in their like wall beds. So what we're going to learn real quick is that these people are living rather harmoniously with the Tarians, the other species on this planet. But don't you think then that let's say conceivably they've been here for almost a generation because there's now kids there. Wouldn't the Tarians then not be so wary of the new humans that have shown up if they're used to having a friendly relationship with them because they still don't know how to deal with this give and take between these two species. Yeah, I mean, I mostly blame the blame on the Eden Project. They're like, the Terrians have been nothing but friendly to them, but every time they bump into them, they're like terrified of them. It's because they're faces. <laughs> but I mean, I, I and there weren't any Terrians like up and walking around in the previous episode either, but they, I mean, they reacted pretty pretty terrified of, the, of those grendlers too like i feel like they're easily spooked the, the eden project <laughs> i think that's what it is they're easily spooked hmm. How, how'd you like the look of these aliens in the walls i know they didn't do much this episode just sort of stood there but uh yeah i mean i know we'll get to it but like i mean it it took me a minute to kind of pl- like figure out what they were like when i saw them i was like okay I, and then i had to remember what that they were the tarians that were was in all the stuff that i was like kind of i, I did a little pre-reading on like the uh wikipedia pages like earlier synopses just to kind of catch up uh but i had forgotten what the tarians look like so i know we'll get to like the little white dreamscape that they kind of transport people to when you touch them where you're like yeah well that's (laughs) that's sort of new information this episode is these these penal colonists in this sort of cave sort of tell them it's like hey when these tarians hibernate throughout the winter we're able to go in and like you can touch them and basically use them as dream telephones. Like, that's how they called old Alonzo up and said, hey, send Devin out to these caves. But they're also able to, like, touch a sleeping Tarian and, like, this one guy, this one Scottish guy who's there for some reason, the elder, he's like, excuse me for a second, I gotta jump into my granddaughter's dream back on Earth. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) I also was convinced I had to, like, double check. I thought he was a young Brian Cox for for about... Fine. <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name, but I recognized him because he was a main character on the 1980s Beauty and the Beast TV show. Oh, <laughs> you love that show. I did like that show. That's funny. Um, but yeah, this is sort of new information. Like the dreamscape really evolves in these two episodes. Like you can do a lot. You can laser cast into it now. Now you can touch a Terrian and go to dreams back on Earth. And this is where we kind of learn why Devin's been summoned. Uh, apparently it turns out that the governor, the shepherd character, he knows a lot about Devin. He knows she's afraid of the dark. He knows she hasn't had a lover since her son was born. <laughs> Weird. But uh, 
apparently when they discovered they could like dream walk back to earth and visit people he didn't have anyone he could visit so he just started like randomly wandering through people's dreams until he ended up in Devin's dreams it seems really creepy to everyone watching this right but i don't think and correct me if i'm wrong i don't think that's entirely the intention of the writers like are you supposed to be creeped out by him i think it's left a little nebulous at least for the first half it felt very much even the casting and the way it was played the aging i it just felt very much of its time this whole like kind of relationship and and he sort of had a very last tango in paris era marlon brando quality to me like just <laughs> with the way he just he... eating butter the whole time <laughs> well it certainly it didn't help when he's just like allow me to show you what i'm talking about and he like pulls her into the dreamscape and then it's just a big white background and they're both nude in front of each other and it's just <laughs> like everyone Whoa. is nude in there but even the little kid who like sneaks in later i mean obviously everything's like irised well but you can see the kid's shoulders i was like everyone who goes into this little white room shows up naked it's like a sauna <laughs> so when you when you jump back to earth to uh, pop into people's dreams you're like mom i miss you oh put well, on clothes like when you bring up the scottish guy going to talk to his granddaughter i was like they're both gonna be in that white room <laughs> it's, um, it's a really weird choice that only serves the romance like the romantic like relationship but logically it's like <laughs> it, yeah yeah and they do something really weird here because it i know they don't really care on this show like it's a it's a semi-serialized show and they, but they kind of are a little loose in with the rules but they they really do something to the lore of this show in this episode because the idea is this guy has been visiting Devin in her dreams and they've been falling in love in her dreams but she has no memory of him and he also is the one who compelled her to bring her son to earth too so this governor is the impetus of this entire television series, and they're just introducing it suddenly. <laughs> Again, this is, you know, only for people who've been listening to this for several episodes. This has added a layer that, at least personally, I think is not needed. Like, we already know that someone sabotaged the ship. We found out that. We found out there is, like, an evil villain who's hovering over the planet in a space station who wants them to be there. Now there's also an evil uh somewhat rapey guy who goes into people's dreams and he's also compelled them to come here it's like it's too much there's there's all this mythology that's not even building upon itself it's just like bumping into itself yeah it it definitely felt like something that was you know i think the people behind the idea were like oh you know what this we can make this fit into this box even though they're not really like see they don't seem too concerned with actually just building on like the rules of the world and the story like every everything again like i know it's a serialized show but it really does feel i think scooby-doo was a a good reference because it's like literally every episode (laughs) it has a lot to do with everybody else except them and like this was like a little sort of expository like detail that i guess kind of makes it is supposed to make you feel like it's it's somehow relevant or connected to Devin and and her son but really it doesn't it doesn't push the stories of the the Eden crew forward at all. No, it's like, it's a shortcut to be like, oh, they're in love because they've had a long-term relationship and he's the reason she's even here. But it doesn't, like, in the end, it's not going to affect the lore of the show at all, even though what you've just said changes everything, sort of. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Is she supposed to actually be in love with him or is it supposed to be a weird mind control manipulation? Well... 
let's get into it because what kind of happens here is that that dirt kid we saw earlier he's showing <laughs> true around the caves and he introduces her to this uh person she calls he calls the ancient lady who's this old woman and the old woman sort of grabs through and she's just like you have to be careful with the governor you can't trust him he's committed atrocities against humanity and like true's all freaked out she goes and tells dan zinger who's like sick in his little bed and she's like daddy daddy the the eye patch man is evil we can't trust him and Danzinger then reports this to Devin. He's like, "We, you can't hang out with that guy." As he 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 calls him, "quote a murdering psychopathic dirtbag." <laughs> Based on no evidence, no, it's like, yeah, no, very colorful, no evidence. Can I can I mention one real quick thing though? The character you mentioned, the old lady Katrina. Uh, w- what I like though is there's a line of dialogue that serves no purpose. The the little ragamuffin dirtbag kid goes. You know, she never speaks. She's never spoke to anyone. And then 10 seconds later, we have her speaking. And I'm like, why did they never explain why she never spoke or why it was important? They're just like, yeah, she never speaks. Oh, yeah, she does now. (laughs) To you. She speaks all the time in this episode. (laughs) I know. That's So why even add that line of dialogue in? Who cares if she never spoke before? I also found it quite, like, surprising that it, like, I was like, none of these guys down here from, like, the long-haired scottish sort of right hand man of the governor to the to katrina like they're all on very different wavelengths like they don't seem to have a consistent (laughs) sort of opinion about anything especially and then when katrina shows up and she's like throwing the governor under the bus it was just like how are you guys coexisting down here and (laughs) (laughs) there's a scene where we see why the governor is so important down there where just two randos in the caves (laughs) get in a fist fight and he breaks it up and then he's just like, you guys shouldn't fight. And they're like, oh, you're right. We're sorry. But they don't even, like, there's no explanation for what they're, like, it just seemed like they started fighting apropos to nothing and then also got over it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening in that cave society is not making no. a lot of sense. But also, what are the dynamics when the Tarians are, are awake? Like, Are what? awake? <laughs> <laughs> I get wondering. <laughs> It's like having house guests who won't leave. The Terrans are like, oh, man, they're still like, here. Maybe when we wake up this time, we'll get there. Like, oh, my chest hurts. It feels like people have been, I don't know, going into nakedly into other people's dreams for the whole yeah, winter. Like, do you guys also feel like something definitely happened? <laughs> That's true. The Terrans wake up every summer like, I've had the worst dreams all winter. <laughs> um, at any rate, Devin takes this information, this idea that the the governor might be some sort of dirtbag and goes back and sort of confronts him with what she's heard. And he basically explains everything. He admits he's committed crimes on the earth's on earth, on those stations he used to live on. And he says, it's not his fault. It's only because he had a twin sister and that twin sister got involved in black magic and she darkened his heart. Honestly, I've used that excuse at least three times. (laughs) Not my fault. Black magic darkened my heart. There, yeah, there were a it. couple lines like that in this episode where they were just very flowery, and I and they definitely demand like a little more explanation. But my favorite, I, I also liked like the introduction where he's like, he's like, no two siblings were ever closer. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> something happened. <laughs> there's been no idea in this show that there's like black magic like that's not a thing on this show so i was like do i need to wonder if there's magic in this world now or can i just ignore yeah yeah like i mean and it could have very easily have been like like a tech thing like it could have been a you know a more sci-fi friendly you know my sister got in trouble i needed to kill a couple guys for that would have worked (laughs) an ai it could have been a yeah so many options (laughs) anyway it 
it turns out this twin sister is this uh what's her name katrina katrina the ancient lady um and apparently on their journey to the penal colony her cryopod Mm -hmm. broke down in transit which caused her to age more than the rest of the people who landed there and she's become cruel because she got so old but like seriously guys she's the same age as the guy probably younger like i bet if you look at imdb (laughs) i couldn't wrap my head around it they're like she's so old i'm like she's the same age as the other guy again though i mean this is i I just felt like it was a 90s thing where they felt like he was an appropriate age to pair with Devin from a casting perspective where it's like you know he's easily like in his late 50s but he's still somehow like running around naked in this white room you know as like a sexy older are you pirate. saying there's something wrong with their maybe close to 30 year age difference <laughs> i i'm listen i'm i shouldn't defend the show but i will say they did they did note at some point that devon had aged not a lot because she'd been in cryo sleep to get there and he he was saying at some point he felt bad that he was an old man now, i i felt at least they acknowledged that. there was an age gap <laughs> that said devon didn't have a problem she's like no this is great i don't care <laughs> no she didn't seem to have a problem with it which is fine you know at any rate, he, the governor basically is like, I want to leave with you. I want to join the Eden Project. You and I should run away together. Our love has waited so long. But we can't talk about it out loud in case my evil twin sister hears. So we can only do it if we go into the dreamscape together. So let's go touch Darian's chest and have a chat. Um, which, you guys, am, am I insane? Didn't he take her into the dreamscape without a Tarion before that? Yes. Yeah, when they first, I think, yeah, when they were when he was first trying to show her who he was right yeah yeah luke are you asking this show to pay attention in scene seven what happened in scene two because they don't have time for that (laughs) Uh, yeah i know at any rate they go in there and they basically have this plot like i'll you leave you take danzig you take true we'll say i'm not coming with you but then i'll sneak out and we'll and we'll leave together that way my sister won't find out but while they're having this like powwow in the dreamscape that little boy walks by and just also touches the Terry and it hops into the dreamscape. And weirdly, in a scene we've seen on this show before with True, jumps into a scene where two adults are like conniving a conspiracy, hears it, walks out, and he just finds True wandering the caves and says, hey, True, guess what? That governor is going to leave with you. And Katrina, the old woman's right behind him. She says, what? What's this I hear? My brother's leaving? Well, that can't happen. It's just like the most contrived way for that information to get But to also, her. I didn't really understand how, how the little kid went unseen in the dreams, dreamscape. Because they're clearly the two, like Devin and the, the uh, governor, are staring so at each two other. people there. Like they... He was hiding behind the old man's butt, so... Uh... <laughs> but no, you're right. Like, it, it just... It raised. I was just like, this is such a weird way of like getting this information. Like they knew they needed a turn to get Katrina to know, but it was just like, I don't know. Maybe the kid overhears it in the dreamscape. Unrelated to this, was I wrong? Did Katrina sleep in a coffin for some reason? <laughs> She's sleeping in her old cro- in a cryo bed, I guess, every night so that she ages more slowly so she can catch up and age. That's like the oh, I missed that at all. I was like, I guess she's a vampire anyway. <laughs> Like, how can we make her even more of a hideous old sister? <laughs> no, no siblings have ever been closer. <laughs> yeah. No, they really were playing up some uh, bad, bad stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, this show kind of has Devin and Danzig and True. They're like, well, it's time for us to leave the caves and the governor's definitely not coming with us. 
They go outside. Danzinger's like, well, can we leave? And she's like, one second. I got to wait for someone to show up. It's a surprise, Danzinger. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that. Like, in this dream, it seems like uh, Devin very quickly has gone from, I don't know how I feel about this, to, you're right, we are in love, and we're possibly having sex in this dreamscape. Yeah, the, she she comes around to being in love very quickly. I also like that everyone in the caves also is aware that Danzinger is in love with Devin. <laughs> and they're just like well too bad eh, that she met the yeah. governor <laughs> yeah <laughs> when the governor doesn't immediately walk out true's like oh is it because we're waiting for the governor and Devin's like how did you know that she's like oh everyone in the caves knows Everybody. we've all been talking about it. <laughs> people people talk Devin. people talk <laughs> some tarian comes up he's like i've been sleeping the whole winter and even i know about it <laughs> So Devin, like, races back to the caves to warn him that his sister knows that he's planning to leave. <laughs> and as she runs in, she sees the governor climbing the stairs of the cave. And the the ancient woman, <laughs> Katrina, steps out of the shadows and just, like, stabs him in the back. Oh, yeah. No, it's pretty... Uh, I mean, the timing is everything in this show. Because he... She, like... <laughs> she, they meet, like, halfway... Like, kind of at the halfway point on the stairs. And he's like, what are you doing back down here? She'll find out. And then it's, like plunges a knife into his back (laughs) (laughs) well and then the old woman goes for devin to stab Uh, her too but like danzinger appears at the cave mouth and shoots a flare gun into her chest (laughs) no i i mean you know she didn't deserve that either really like I, i i thought she got like a really raw deal it's true. But I, I mean, I felt like the SFX team was just like, oh, we got to shoot a flare into somebody? Sweet. <laughs> and basically, they, the governor dies in Devin's arms at the end of the episode. And Devin's like all weepy because she's lost the love of her life. And that old <laughs> Scottish dude walks by and he's like, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, he's going to haunt your dreams, but, you know, yeah. in a good way. I, which also, again, they don't bother to uh, they don't really bother to explain that because I, I was like, how is he? He's dead. How are dead people also you know, floating into these. No, that's the thing. There's been an implication there are ghosts. Like, they have seen ghosts when they are awake on this show, which is already weird enough, which is already complicated enough. But now, basically, Devin goes home, goes to bed at the Eden Project, and as soon as she goes to sleep, she's nude with the governor in the dreamscape. And I'm just like, so does every night when she goes to bed now, is the governor just nude waiting for her? (laughs) Also, it's weird because they almost set up in terms of the plot of the episode, uh, you know, there was going to be this conflict. Devin wasn't going to be sure how she felt about either the governor versus the people she's with. And she's going to be torn between the two. But that's really not what this episode is. It's like, is she getting manipulated? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Does she feel different? Kind of. Uh, What is the result of that? Don't worry about it. (laughs) We're going to clean it all up before the next episode. Don't worry, everybody. She's going to be in love with Danzinger next episode. So don't. Like, what do you want to bet this guy and this dreams, they never come back on this show? Oh, for sure. They'll never mention it, no. On a separate note, it's kind of interesting. I know we're near, we're just at the end of this episode, but like we've seen it in, in the previous episode we talked about. The New Eden, this group of humans, have been struggling since they got on this planet. They never have enough clothing. They never have enough food. They don't have enough shelter. And they've now come in contact with another group of humans that have survived seemingly for generations, have figured out how to survive on this planet. And instead of trying to have some sort of contact or learn from them or set up any sort of communication, they go, anyways, that was nice. See you guys later. Back to the wilderness. (laughs) It's like, what? Are you crazy? I also raised that flag. I'm like, you guys just spend the winter with these people. I know you want to get to your destination, but you should just 
spend the winter with these clearly civilized people who have learned to live on this planet in peace with terror. I was also just like, like all your problems are solved right here, but you're just walking I, away. It's kind of like that, you know, with uh, I used to watch Gilligan's Island all the time as a kid. And, you know, sometimes their plan would only go awry slightly. And if they just tried it one more time, it probably would have worked. But they're never the next episode right. isn't going to be them trying to do it one more time successfully. It's like a whole other wild idea that they try, which also fails. <laughs> so, don't don't tweak the plan. Yeah. Just come up with a new one. <laughs> so I, I felt the same way. I was like, oh yeah, like those guys were probably not going to see them again. Like you said, even though they're they clearly have like a functioning society going for them. They're not starving to death in the no. woods in winter. <laughs> well, and also they've clearly like formed some kind of alliance with one of their greatest fears that like at least figure out like you know can you help us like maybe just kind of moderate like a little agreement with them or <laughs> just a little little information exchange yeah. might be nice. <laughs> just... at the very least maybe find out how to do that uh, uh touching them in the chest and getting into people's dreams they didn't even yeah. learn about that yeah. <laughs> nothing but i you know and just like the last thing i i, I kind of thought it was also a little weird i mean i for me like i felt like Devin almost got to a place with the governor where like I felt like she was almost on the brink of like giving up everything for him. Again, I was like her son sort of seemed to fade yeah. in the background. And then at the end when like she like curls up with her son and she's like, Oh, I, I just wish you could have met him. I was like <laughs> I was like, I know that he claims to have been the re- like, you know, the guy who was like, Come on to over to Earth too. But beyond that, like I they didn't really explain any kind of like meaningful relationship or sort of experience that they had other than you know, maybe they winked, winked and nodded at each other a little bit in the in the yeah. buff, and and uh, he said, "Hey, come over, come on over." Listen, she hasn't had a lover since her son was born. This is a big deal. <laughs> they want a lot of the off-screen uh, stuff to do the work mm-hmm. for them. They're like, "Well, they'll know that they have a relationship because we've mentioned that in the past they had a relationship." It's like, but as a viewer, you don't see that, so none of the the actions are justified, no. but. Even worse for the show is that there is no turn to Devin. So the whole point of this, there is no point. There's no point to this whole relationship. This whole episode can be taken out of the series, and it and it means nothing. <laughs> if anything, it fixes some problems that they added to it. Yeah, maybe. I would argue I felt the same way about the two episodes that, that I watched um, for, for this. Um, besides the little kind of kernel at the end with uh, True's mom, really... You know, Dell wasn't important. Like the metal mask guy, like he's probably never gonna come back. Yeah, it just really did feel like, yeah, like they felt like sort of the you know Mulder and Scully's. They of felt like, like yeah. standalone <laughs> episodes shoved into exactly. this show. Like it felt like they were there to service. It felt like there was a stack of like unshot Twilight Zone scripts, and they were like, "Can we just? Can you do this episode <laughs> on?" on earth too like can you somehow rework this story to take place on this just have them stumble on this on these guys (laughs) and they're like but wait a minute wouldn't everyone know this is an old transmission like shut up and finish this episode (laughs) all right well it seems like we're going to do a good place to get into ratings but before we do i just had one final note and it's just a special treat for mark here mark the director of the greatest love story never told Hmm. is the director of the muppet movie get out of here (laughs) Yes, sir. That was the director of the Muppet movie bringing you the greatest story, love story never told. That's a really like uh, fun piece of trivia. 
I would ne- it would never have guessed. <laughs> it's so weird too, because like for a man who worked with a lot of Muppets, yeah, give him a Grendler episode. Yeah, even because like, I was thinking that the Terrians didn't even move. Like they were just like nobody was probably had to be, even be in those costumes for this episode. Yeah, I, I thought it was very strange to give that man that episode. But well, yeah. what are you gonna do? Works work. I'm sure he wants to be known for more than just the Muppets, guys. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> He's like, I could work with Muppets. I could work in Dreamscapes. I can do a lot of stuff. I really want to get into nudies. That's why I did this one. <laughs> I, I have to admit, the thing that I, for some reason, was like one of the most prevalent memories I had of the show that didn't make an appearance at all in either of these episodes uh, was Tim Curry, which I realized only shows up for like a couple episodes in the beginning of the series. And then he... I am sorry to report... That was the best part of the show was when yeah. Tim Curry was on it. He was amazing. He really propelled the show. And <laughs> we've been missing him since he left. Like, uh, it felt like he was going to be a long running, like, yeah. villain. But they killed him so I, early. I mean, there must it must have been a contract thing because it doesn't make any sense why. Because I, I looked at it. Yeah, because I looked and it was like four episodes and then he never returns. Like, I, I looked at the cast list thing. So so he obviously died. Or I, That's yeah. the implication. We don't, we don't see him die exactly, but there's the implication he's probably never coming back. And it was, you know, I think maybe that's where the show's big downfall. I'm sure those first few episodes, like, we were excited for those <laughs> first few episodes when he was on. Because we're like, oh, this is a cool show. And once he leaves, like, all the seams start showing. You start realizing there's really no one to root for. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> Tim Curry, come yeah. back. Well, because what's funny is, like, even, uh, was it Clancy Brown? Like, <laughs> I mean, I... He's, you know, I, I, I've seen him in a ton of stuff, and I mean, it's funny he does the voice of Mr. Krabs on uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. But uh, like, he's an interesting lead choice. <laughs> They're not giving him any of the work. No, exactly. Sure. Too like, you do feel bad for him because he's again, he's sort of sidelined on on what you feel is like his show, or like he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it is unfortunate. Well, let, let's get into the ratings, you guys. Um, Mark, we'll start with you. And uh, we do this with the um, sort of the IMDb scale, 10 stars is the uh, usual go around. So um, um, so we'll start with Grendler's in the Mist. What, what's your thoughts on the first the one? First one, uh, you know, I think because it was contained enough, I, you know, and I, I, I was a sucker for the Grendler like appearance. And I, you know, for me, I, I give that guy a seven. Nice. Jordan? I've been hoping for more standalone episodes for this show because I'm not that big into the the mythology and the serialization of the show. However, I don't know if this is exactly how I was hoping they would go. I think this was an okay episode. However, it's got to have to have at least one whole point for showing that a horrible <laughs> monster mother at the end. So I'm going to give this one a six out of 10. It would have been a five out of 10, but I'm going to give it a six, maybe even a six and a half because of just how horrible she looked. And uh, it's not often I get a surprise like that. And I really enjoyed that part of the show. Well, that goes for me too. I think with both these episodes, I like that they were trying to just do like a standalone story for change, but like they both were just like really missed the mark. So I'm like, ah, these are yeah. bad versions of these. Like there, you could see if you squinted really hard how you could have rewritten them to something a little more compelling, mm-hmm. but they just like weren't there. Like they just everything was convenient and kind of just like passed over you and just didn't really work. But as Jordan said. Because of that nightmare <laughs> reveal at the end of that episode, which blew my mind, I also am giving it a 6.5. <laughs> and then, Mark, what do you think of the greatest love story never told? Well, let me just say before we, we rank them, I looked and the, the episode 15, the greatest love story never told, according to fans, according to people's ro- uh, voting, is the worst rated episode in the entire series. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't entirely surprise me because I, I really, just even tonally, the, the whole sort of, romance thing just sort of like 
I don't know. It just had that kind of like late night 90s, like, you know, as racy as you can get on TV quality. And I... A lot of soft filters on yeah, that I camera. Just, I was like, this doesn't belong here. Like, I felt like David Duchovny was going to come out and start, <laughs> like, narrating, like, a, you know. He's going to come out with a dog and read a letter. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I, it just it just seemed weird. And I, and I felt, as far as conveniences went, like you said, I was like, this thing is just, like, not working at all here. And, like, the logic even of, even within this new technology of the terrarian, like, Terrian dreamscape, you know, it's, they're touching it, you know, it, it works on a whim. Like whenever they want it to work, it like they're there. It doesn't, you don't have to really, there's no logic to it. <laughs> so I, I probably, for me, I'd give this one, I, like this would be like my five or five and a half. I, I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't really into the governor. Five and a half, eh? just the most average show rating <laughs> yeah. you could give. Uh, I, I mean, I'm in agreement. It was, a, it was a, it didn't work as an episode. I hated that they added this weird lore that he drew her to the planet <laughs> via dreamscape i mean i'm fine if they want to add more weird stuff to this dreamscape but it didn't like it just yeah it just didn't make sense in the rest of the world they already have enough stuff they haven't explained to add yeah. more half thought out concepts i i gotta give it a three <laughs> luke this doesn't happen this often but i'm giving the exact same score for both episodes i'm also giving it a three what a dumb episode <laughs> three to ten i really hated it I, that was the stupidest episode the only thing I liked was there was some rando guy with a really thick Scottish accent who wasn't even one of the characters that they needed he to talk about. Been, he was more like he was somebody that would have been more interesting to follow because he always seemed like really positive. He he was the guy who sort of seemed to have like little little nuggets of wisdom to like drop on people. Like I I I could he probably wakes up early and goes outside like for long walks and like really is the one like kind of like making peace with people. Like I felt like he was like a really interesting character and he just like pops up to like wink at characters and sort of walk <laughs> off <laughs> are we also supposed to feel good for the governor that in death he now doesn't have to wear an eye patch anymore <laughs> oh that's true in the dreamscape there's no eye patch was there i was like good for him i guess did he have an eye patch in the dreamscapes where he was living yeah um, yeah see that doesn't make any sense either because they're all naked like it... Because <laughs> well, if he wasn't wearing it, it's not too much of a romantic scene if you can see his weird scar. <laughs> yeah, eye socket. <laughs> uh, no offense to people uh, who have weird eye no, sockets. No. Jordan would just like you to put a glass eye in there. Yeah. And then pop it out at parties. <laughs> you truly would like that. You'd love that. Actually, my uh, last thing I'll say is my mom, when she was a kid, had an aunt who had a glass eye. And when she was babysitting them, she'd take the eye out and put it on the table and say, don't do anything bad because I'm watching you. And they were all terrified. And, and I'm like, that's the kind of parenting we're missing these days, you know? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that about wraps up for this episode. So, uh, Mark, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, for uh, laser casting yourself across the great country of Canada from Vancouver to be here. Well, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I, it was nice to revisit it and, uh, and get to chat about something like this. It's... Uh, you don't get to like uh, debrief, especially something so kind of campy. <laughs> well, it's fun that you'd watched it before. And you kind of had like a background. It's good to talk to people who will kind of remember the show weirdly fondly and like force them to confront <laughs> what they liked before. Yeah, no, it was uh, it, it was eye opening. It was definitely kind of fun. And I, I think, too, just to see sort of where sci fi. I mean, because there was some great it was funny. Like I look looking reading up on it like like this show was up. I think it was for the Saturn Awards. It was like it was up in the same category for best sci-fi series against the X-Files. And even at that time I was like, you know, the adults in the room yeah. should have known better. 
<laughs> Saturn Awards, you're on notice. Uh, but yes, thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast. It was really fun talking about this with you. Um, we'll have to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Uh, and we are doing a cross-promotion with another podcast called Discussing Trek. So if you stick around to after our credits on this episode, you'll hear a little promo from them. Their host will tell you all about them. But they're a podcast watching new and old Trek. They have a panel show. They usually have between three and five people talking about episodes and discussing what's working, what's not, and how it fits into uh, our daily lives. So stick around if you want to hear about that uh, podcast after the show. And uh, if you want to see a little bit more about uh, Earth 2, on our Instagram and Twitter, we're going to have all kinds of clips from this. Um, I assume an old woman getting shot with a flare in the chest will be one of them. Yeah, and I guarantee there's going to be a clip of that horrible monster mother. (laughs) (laughs) Be disappointed if there wasn't. (laughs) It's now, what, 30 years since the show aired? We're going to keep that woman living death alive by reposting her on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, But yes, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag is the handle there. And of course, if you want to email us at the show for some reason or another, tell us how much uh, you like those naked dream sequences, you can get us. Drag at gmail.com is the uh, email address. And that's about it. So listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, we'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes. Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. I'm your host, Clarence, and I wanted to introduce you to the podcast. Discussing Trek is all about keeping you informed on the latest news and episode reviews in the Star Trek universe, while also staying engaged with our community of listeners. So be sure to hit that subscribe button for weekly content and stay locked in to DiscussingTrek.com for more information. Until next time, guys, live long and prosper.